If you've got your Bibles with you, John chapter 6, put your finger in that, and also put your finger in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. John chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now over the last, last sorry, uh, 12 months or so, Peter and I have been constantly teaching from and circling around most of the Gospel of John. This proved what he preached on and talked about just now and what I'm going to talk about now too. Uh, it just seems to be um, this church's favourite gospel, I think. Uh, I like it because um, when I was a young Christian man and, and I was taken under the wing of an older Christian man to learn how to pray and memorise scripture, that was the very first the very first scripture that that, that elderly gentleman, uh, Christian man, John, taught me to, to, to memorise was John 3.16. And it's my favourite scripture. Alona actually made me a coffee mug with that on it, which I drink out of four or five times a day. <laughs> so that's great. So one of the main reasons is John's so rich. The Gospel of John is so rich and it's very relevant in our Christian walks today. So let's have a look at John chapter 6. We're going to pick it up in verse 16 through to 21. It says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, got into a boat and started crossing the lake of Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The lake became rough because a storm or a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three and a half or three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the lake and coming near the boat and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, do not fear. Then they wanted to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the land towards which they were going. And let's have a little splash of obedience uh, from Second Corinthians just to spice some things up here. It says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once our obedience is complete. Now, we're going to talk about John chapter 6, 16 to 21, but I just want you to keep in mind that passage from 2 Corinthians on obedience from chapter 10, verses 5 to 6. Just keep that in mind as we go through and, and start making some correlations and, and connections to that. The Gospel of John has or, or is uh, the last Gospel to be written in the Gospel sequence. There was Matthew, Mark, Luke, not necessarily in that sequence. Something Mark was written way before Matthew and Luke. Um, uh, but Mark, Matthew and Luke are referenced uh, or referred to as the synoptic gospels, meaning they are alike in how they tell the story of Jesus. That means they are telling the story in a synoptic way. Who knows what synoptic means? No. It just means a general summary. All right. So John's gospel is written later 
And it's not written as a general summary. It's written in a very, very different way. It's, 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 John doesn't repeat many of the stories that the other three Gospels relate. John moves in a different direction altogether than the other three Gospels. John Gospel mentions the, the least amount of miracles. It only mentions seven miracles. When John records miracles, he doesn't actually record them as miracles, which is interesting. Um, he calls them signs. In the Greek, that is seimion, uh, which means an indication, a mark, or a wonder, which is totally different to the other Greek word for miracle, which means an imposition of time, uh, a place, an order. So when uh, you get closer to the end of John's Gospel in chapter 20, he says this, which is really interesting. He says, And truly Jesus did many of these signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these were written that you, these seven things, these seven signs were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That believing you may have life. In the Greek, that word life is the word zoe. We call little girls zoe, don't we? The actual Greek is zoe, and that means life as God intended. So that believing you may have the life that God intended. Now how many here tonight would like to have life the way God intended? I would like that so much. Not the way people intended it to be. Not the way institutions intend it to be. I want my life to be a life the way God wanted it to be. And that's what God, the Gospel of John records, that's his theme, so that John records his Gospel and he hones in intentionally on these signs that, that and they lead and they make us understand this is the way life is intended to be. Each sign in a Gospel of John within the Gospel tells its own Gospel story within each story. And it's telling us what God is like through Jesus. Every person in this room needs to have a theology of renewal. We all need to have a theology. We need to have a in our minds an understanding that God is a God that is, is a turnaround God, that he can turn things around. He's a God that's able to take people that are going in the wrong direction and turn them around 180 degrees to go in the air. That's what conversion means. It means to turn around. That God's eternal. We need that theology in our thinking that people are moving in a wrong patterns and wrong thoughts and wrong ways and, and God through Jesus can turn that whole thing around and restore. I was reading this really interesting story and um, it's about a church in Florida, USA and what happened into that church happens also uh, to churches in Australia too. That's why it was so interesting. It happens here too. So there's a visionary congregation and their pastor, and um, they were they, their their church was meeting in the in the main city area, but they they wanted to grow, so they bought a cheap block of land way out out you know like in Manor Lakes, you know, <laughs> and they bought this cheap block of land right on the outskirts of their city where it looked like a new community was starting and they hoped that the, the town community would grow um, out and spread out to where their new worship 
and community facility was. So when the pastor and the contractor set the church on the building, uh, the, the church building on the land, um, the front door was facing the proposed uh, Highway 90 that, that, that was supposed to go through the town. And so um, they did that. They, they set the, the building on the block of land and uh, years and years went by and the town grew as hoped it would from the planning um, uh, that, that that was planned for. But the city planners um, changed their mind um, uh, at the last minute and they built a major bridge over one of the rivers uh, a bit further inland and it changed the direction of the main road. And so the, the main road ended up going past the back door of the church instead. And so here's this church building on a main road in this whole, this new community that's growing uh, hand over fist and it's backwards on the block. The back door is on is at the front. So the pastor got the contractors out, the engineers out, and through some interesting engineering and, and, and hydraulic jacks, they lifted the church up six inches, turned it around and put it back down on its foundations the right way. I think that's what we need God to let happen to us sometimes. God, We need to let God do that to us sometimes. Lift us up and get us facing the right way so that we can receive what God wants to bring into our lives. My first pastor had a saying. Not only did he have a saying, but he had a whole theology behind the saying. And uh, he based that theology on Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. Let me read it out for you so you can get the full impact. Okay, That day... When evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. Just as he was in the boat, there was also, uh, just as he was in the boat, there was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And it goes into chapter 5 in verse 1 and it tells us that they reached the other side safe and sound. If you had a trial in your life, if you had some pressure, if you had some stress, some issues, and you went to my first pastor, he would pray for you and then he would look you in the eye and he would quote Mark chapter 34, chapter verse 35 to 44 and say, don't worry, you're getting to the other side. He would always say that. And what would happen was... Uh, after a while, you'd go, oh, I'm not going to go see the pastor. He's going to quote Mark chapter 4 to me and, <laughs> and tell me the whole story. But he had this whole thing and a whole theology about it and his whole thing was, don't worry, you're getting to the other side. Now, what he meant was that each of us here need to make our crossings in life and that every storm in our life, every season, every time frame, is appointed by God. In other words, we need to see our trials as God's appointments. 
If we, if, if, if we would just turn aside from our situation, our anxiety, the static in our life, we will actually see Jesus in the midst of the storm that we're going through. Tonight I want to flesh out of this story from John's Gospel a couple of thoughts, three in fact, and see what the Holy Spirit would speak to us, to each of our hearts tonight. The storms of life, these unsettling conditions that touch each of our lives with uncertain outcomes most of the time. In the course of living for Jesus, there are situations and challenges that threaten our our peace of mind, that threaten our sense of well-being, that threaten our health, that threaten our sense of how things are going to work out. There's dread that comes, there's fearfulness that comes, and we have all said these words in one way or another. We've all said these words, Lord, I just don't see an end to this. The miracle of Jesus walking on the water gives us hope and security that when we are feeling hopeless, that when we are feeling scared, that Jesus is never far away. Even though we may not see him in uh, in and through the wind, this story reminds us that there's no place in my life, there's no place in your life tonight where Jesus can't see you. Even if we think we're in the dark and there's no place where He can't come and find us either. So let's unpack some of these thoughts tonight from this story as we look at the storms of life. So first thought tonight is learning to move in obedience. This is the hard thing for many of us, learning to move in obedience. Reading this story from parallel passages, it's plain to see and it paints a, a more complete picture. In John's Gospel, he's, 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 he's short and brief. The narration in John's Gospel is short and brief. brief. But in Mark, who we've already read, it gives us more of a background and, and, and it lets us review some of that stuff. So in Mark's Gospel, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake of Bethsaida while he said, while he sent people home. Now think about it, the disciples had just helped feed how many? 5,000 men besides women and children. Alright, so, so 5,000 husbands showed up with their families. That's a lot of people. Can you imagine being involved in that kind of ministry? Can you imagine being part of, of that, that anointing that happened that day? They got something from Jesus, the disciples got something from Jesus and they were able then to give it to somebody else and all the people now know their names. yeah, And they're famous. They're like religious rock stars, aren't they? Religious superstars. And as they're basking in all this glory and fame and sucking all that up, Jesus gets in the middle of all this and he starts to mess with this. He he focuses them. The King James actually says Jesus constrained them to get into the boat and go to the other side. Now, constrain. Isn't that what the police officer does when he puts you in the back of the paddy van? That's right. Joe knows about that. (laughs) 
Isn't that what the Irish police did, John? Yeah. <laughs> and the Aussies too, yeah. So, 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 so who did, Jesus constrains them, yeah? So, we can see by the King James Version, Jesus is right in there, he's, he's sorting out a few inflated egos, yeah? Alright, now, there's a whole new situation that they find themselves in a few hours later. The storm has come up, it's dark, they're struggling against the conditions, and all this is in direct result of what? Obeying Jesus. They find themselves in a very trying and difficult situation and in difficult conditions because they obeyed Jesus. Here's a life truth for all of us to, to note down. And you should write this down in the front cover of your Bible, okay? Here it comes. Ready? Moving in obedience does not insulate you from problems. You can write that one down. We think many times that if I'm a person of promise or if I'm a, a person that's walking in the will of God or that I'm a good person, that's like a get out of jail free card, isn't it? Huh? Doesn't some, doesn't that sound like some Christian thought tonight? That if I'm a person of promise, if I'm a good person, uh, if, if, if I have faith, then I get this get out of jail free card and nothing bad is ever going to happen to me. Can I tell you that's not true? And it's not scriptural and it's not biblical. God's nature is not to tell you and I that if you obey me, nothing bad will ever happen to you. The truth is that God will send you into situations knowing that they're going, they're not going to go well. He will send you into situations that in some sites might be, have a sense of jeopardy to them. God's highest goal, listen to this, God's highest goal for you and I is not our personal comfort. Okay? That may be annoying to hear for some of you tonight. That God's highest priority is not your personal comfort. God's highest purpose for you and I, what's really in the Father's heart tonight, is to develop you and I and our life so that it might look like his son Jesus. A life that looks like Jesus' life. That's what God's highest priority is for you and I tonight. So God will constantly put you in situations that will grow you spiritually. So you will be, you, you will be changed into the person that you were born to be by the will of God. Romans 8.29 says, For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This is the key to discipleship tonight, right here. Becoming Christ-like. We're often... Where you, where you um, need to be changed and formed, where you weren't chosen because you had it all together. None of us were chosen by God because we had it all together and that we were incredibly gifted. You were chosen because you needed to be changed. Our obedience never insulates us from the problems of life. The fact is, in the problems of life, um, 
That's where you'll find the powerful catalyst for change tonight, right in the problems. It's where priorities develop, where problems, troubles, storms of life, fearful conditions surround us. It takes the situations and challenges and shapes us in all of that stuff. Romans 2.12 says, Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. When you go through life's struggles, don't ever let anyone tell you that you don't have enough faith. Okay, That's a false doctrine tonight. Because... We're all Job's friends. Who knows what Job is? Who Job is? Yeah? We're all Job's friends. Yeah? We're all Job's friends multiplied out. Think about it. It was, it was Jesus who told them to get in the boat. He, he knew what the time was. He knew where they were going. He knew what was going to happen. And he knew what he was going to do. And he put them in that situation nonetheless. Let's have a look at thought number two. Obedience triggers trials. Obedience is the very thing tonight that triggers a trial. The truth is that not only does my obedience not insulate me, right, but it also sets me up for, for, for these refining encounters with God. The disciples were uh, in full, the disciples were in, in, in full compliance the scripture says, when they set out in that boat. You know, Jesus constrained them to get into the boat. They were in full compliance with Jesus when they got into the boat. But before the night was over, they were nearly scared to death and they found out that they were going through, you know, what they were going through was, was being used as a test that related back to the feeding of the 5,000 men besides women and children. Jesus was linking the two events together. So here's the big idea. Everything that you are going through tonight, if you are going through something, it's all connected. Your life and my life tonight is not a mishmash of, of karma or, or crazy fate. It's all God tonight. Proverbs 20 says, a man's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand his ways? First Peter one seven says, "These have come; these, these, these trials, these, these issues, these storms of life. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refining by fire, may be proven genuine, and may re- and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed." Who has uh, been watching the, the TV show Aussie Gold Hunters? Is it only me? That's just me. It must be. I, I find it fascinating. It's there. On the, it's, there's, there's like four different groups of people. One's called the Dirt Dogs, and uh, they 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 all mine for gold in, around the Kalgoorlie, Western Australian area, uh, in different ways. And there's this one couple, husband and wife team. And uh, the husband's a real negative Nancy and his wife's always having to say, come on, come on. Anyway, so so <laughs> they're fine. At the moment, they're finding gold in rocks, in quartz. yeah. And so they're not finding nuggets. They're finding these things. They're calling them species. In other words, they're, they're um, 
um, something that would be sold to a, 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 a rock hound to put on their shelf. And so uh, they get more money seemingly than the price of the gold. But anyway, so they're finding these this gold in rocks and quartz and then what they have to do is they have to refine the gold. And so it's an amazing process and it shows you on the show. And so they get these rocks, these big rocks um, that have got gold in them and they put them, they beat them down in this big cast iron mortar and pestle and bang, bang. And uh, they get the whole thing down to a fine powder, a fine dust. And once they've got it down to that, then they wash it out with water and the dirt gets carried away and what's left is gold. This is what God is doing to you and I many times. Where you and I are big rocks, you know, <laughs> but we have these tiny little pieces of something that's really precious within us. And it's, it's, it takes a bit of time to, to beat off the harsh edges and the sharp edges and all the stuff that's not worth anything. God takes the raw material of our lives. Then through all the experiences that we live it out, and he begins to break and crush and take away things that aren't worth anything to reveal the valuable things, the things that are valuable to him. Not only does our obedience not insulate us, many times it instigates and triggers trials in our life so that God can bring forth that which is valuable, that which is precious in his sight. Thought number three, and I'll, I will close on this thought tonight. Obedience should always leave you stronger. When you obey, it should always leave you stronger and not weaker. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, 36 says, So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Okay, Do not throw it away. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. The command tonight is do not throw away because nothing can take it, no one can take it from you. Nothing can steal your confident trust in God, but you can just let it go. Alright, so do not Throw it away. Romans 8, 38, 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Moving in obedience may expose areas of our life that we have initially and intentionally protected for many years. Emotions, fears, anxieties that we have guarded and in many cases hidden from God. Shame, guilt, those protected areas of hurt feelings and betrayals. Don't throw away your confident trust in God tonight. Andrew, if you could come and play softly. You can have a confidence in the future tonight as God guides, as God directs, as God leads. The fact is that Jesus rose from the dead so that we can live in the power 
of his resurrected life. That's what the end, chapter 20 of the Gospel of John tells us. In the power of forgiveness through the cross, we are called to a new life together in adventurous partnership tonight with our maker for the sake of this world. But always with God's grace, presence and hope toward moving us towards the future. I'll finish up here and we'll pick up part two of the storms of life next week and we'll talk about moving beyond the fear. We'll touch a bit more on, on what I've just talked about at the end there. But let me just conclude with a bit of a review, a review. as we move forward. As we move forward, in, we, we're moving forward in a unique season at New Start Church. We're moving forward in a unique, a unique season that God is guiding us in. And so we all need to learn what it means to move in obedience tonight. Three thoughts we've looked at so far. Obedience to God won't insulate us from problems, individually and also together, corporately. Number two, in fact, obedience may lead us directly into the problems of life, into the storms of life. But number three tells us, but when it's all said and done, obedience will always leave us stronger. Do you believe that tonight? Amen. Tonight, we don't want to accomplish anything as a church or as individuals without God's blessing. Because God has not changed. The whole world has changed since I was born. Just in the last 20 years, all of life's changed for me. The country we live in has changed. The church that I was saved in has changed. Everything has changed. And yet nothing is different. God is still God. The same Jesus that I bowed my knee to 32 years ago is still the same and is still real and he's still alive and he's still calling you and I into his presence and still sending you and I into his purposes. Nothing will change. So we're going to sing a song which I love. I remember singing this song. I first started going to church on a Sunday night at St. James's Anglican Church in Daniel. And the, the curate, who knows what a curate is? Curate's the, the, the apprentice vicar, the apprentice priest, yeah? And, and so he gets the bum job, he gets the Sunday night shot, yeah? <laughs> where there's six people show up. And so he said, oh, you should come to the morning. And I remember this is one of the songs that they sung in the morning. It was one of the first Christian songs I ever learned until someone gave me, who remembers Leo Pantillo? Ah, see, you weren't a child of the 80s. And Leo Pantillo got saved. He was the keyboard player for Santana. And he got saved and he put out all this Christian music. So I learned this song first and then someone put a Leo Pantillo. Anyway, so sorry. Christine and David get what I'm saying. <laughs> Trust and obey. There's no